humans. Hello, humans. How are you on this Monday after the snow, snowmageddon or whatever we would call it? Here we are on Monday, the beginning of a new week, and dealing with this weather and dealing with February and April, but still you have me. And here we are. You, and me is Ellie Krug. You're listening to Ellie Krug, Ellie 2.0, where I take on the world and talk about the concept of idealism and, in particular, about my work as a practical idealist and where I highlight the work of other idealists. For my A slot this morning, I want to talk about a man named Brian Stevenson, a contemporary idealist, a 57 year old lawyer. And civil rights advocate who heads the Equal Justice Initiative in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, he's uh, you may, <clears throat> for those of you who watch uh, 60 Minutes, you may recall that he was interviewed by Oprah Winfrey a little bit more than a week ago, um, and the subject matter of the uh, interview was about a new museum um, opening up in. Montgomery, Alabama, and I'll get to that later on in the show. Brian is also the author of a memoir uh, titled Just Mercy, a story of justice and redemption uh, that came out in 2014. If any of you are fairly recent college graduates, that may have been on your reading list for one or more of your classes. Now, Brian Stevenson grew up in Delaware, where his father was a food plant laboratory technician, and his mother was a bookkeeper who later um, became the equal opportunity officer for her place of employment. Um, there was a strong emphasis in uh, Brian's family, particularly by his mother, about the value of education and uh, the role of religion as well. Um, much of uh, uh, Stevenson's work um, as an advocate uh, came to be framed um, by a tragedy that occurred with his family when Stevenson was 16 years old. His father, um, his excuse me, his grandfather was stabbed to death um, in a home robbery. Later, the killers were caught and given life sentences. But that experience shaped uh, a Stevenson in a kind of an odd way because he later on became a man advocating against the death penalty um, and against um, the death penalty for convicted killers. As a kid, Stevenson grew up with segregation in uh, Delaware. I mean, it was the early 60s. There were schools that were segregated. Um, entrances to various uh, public buildings were segregated. Uh, Blacks had to go in the back. His father accepted that segregation and racism, but his mother did not. Woohoo for moms who are strong. In high school, Stevenson earned straight A's, and that garnered him a scholarship to Eastern University um, in St. David's, Pennsylvania. Later, and this was really what put him on the straight track, he got a full scholarship to Harvard Law School, where he began to work with death row inmates while in law school. After law school, that work continued, and he um, relocated to Montgomery, where he worked for the Southern Center for Human Rights. In 1994, Congress cut funding for death penalty defense, and Stevenson then uh, pivoted to found the Equal Justice Initiative in Montgomery. And a year later, 
So that would be in uh, 1995. Stevenson was awarded a MacArthur Grant. Now, you may be aware of MacArthur Grants. They are $600,000 or $650,000 given to people without any strings whatsoever. Um, and Stevenson put all of that money into his new, brand new organization, uh, the Equal Justice Initiative. Um, and using that money and using um, his nonprofit, he guaranteed the defense to anyone in Alabama who was sentenced to death in a criminal case. Um, and then uh, he focused on the fact that there were uh, thousands of youth uh, sentenced to either death or life imprisonment for crimes committed before they were 18. Um, it helped that the Supreme Court uh, later declared that life without parole sentences for kids 17 and under um, was unconstitutional. That ruling in itself affected 2,300 people sentenced as children. And by August of 2016, as it related to adults, equal the Equal Justice Initiative's work had saved 125 men from the death penalty. So that alone would put Brian Stevenson in, um, I would say, the platinum level of idealists. But it turns out that he's more than a civil rights lawyer. He's also a historian and a visionary of how to heal America from its history of marginalizing and oppressing black people. I forgot to mention, but of course I think it's maybe interesting, I never said that he was black before now. Brian Stevenson is a black man. And so I wonder, as you were listening to this story about this idealist, um, whether you were thinking that he might have been a white man. At any rate, in Montgomery, uh, there were a lot of placards about the Confederacy, as well as monuments. Um, and Stevenson decided that there needed to be some historical markers about the slave trade and about how in Montgomery and the South had marginalized and, and co-opted black people um, as slaves to help build the Confederacy. So he petitioned the state of Alabama to put up some markers in uh, Montgomery uh, about uh, the slave trade, but the state of Alabama would have none of it. They were concerned about, quote-unquote, controversy. Later, um, because he is persistent, Stevenson found an African-American history group to sponsor historical markers about uh, the slave trade, and three of them were put up. Um, in Montgomery, and actually I saw one of those markers in Court Square in February, um, uh, where that marker reported that as late as 1859, Montgomery had four slave depots and seven slave auctioneers. Again, that is mind-boggling to me. And you may recall that I took my trip through the South, that I did do a live show uh, thank you, producer Brett Johnson, for making that happen. A live show from Montgomery. Now, so, he's not only a lawyer, a civil rights advocate, a historian, but he's also a museum creator. Uh, that's not a very good phrase, but you get what I'm talking about. So, as to that Oprah interview of Brian Stevenson, it was to commemorate the opening coming up in less than two weeks. On April 26th, the National Memorial for Peace and Justice will open.
This is a museum intended to educate Americans, Americans about America's history of lynching and burning and shooting of blacks as a way to intimidate them into submission following Reconstruction and then all the way through Jim Crow South until the 1964 Civil Rights Act. A striking feature of this, of this monument are 850, excuse me, 805 hanging steel beams to represent the 805 counties in America where lynchings occurred. Now think about that, 805 counties where blacks were killed by whites. That's nearly, of course, if you do the math, nearly 10 times the number of counties in Minnesota. Um, um, at the same time that this museum is opening, there'll be another museum uh, coming online in, uh, in Montgomery that Stevenson's had a role in creating that will talk more about what it was like to live under segregation, more what it was like for blacks to be oppressed. And in that museum, there will be soil from the 805 counties where the lynchings occurred. And I don't think I gave you the number that the total number that they know of, the total number of lynchings that occurred in America between 1865 and 1950 were 4,400 lynchings. More than 4,400. Um, you know, while I was in Montgomery in February, I saw the, the um, museum, uh, the Memorial to Peace and Justice. I saw that memorial being constructed. It sits atop a hill in downtown Montgomery. And it's there for a reason, because on that hill, that's where they used to lynch blacks. Very symbolic. I suspect that we will hear more about Brian Stevenson as time goes on. He's already done such great things for humans. He is living proof of what drive and intelligence and vision and sheer grit can achieve to make the world better. I frankly am in awe of Brian Stevenson. He is certainly a role model for me. I'm just a little person trying to do my part. But he gives me hope, he does, that if you just persist, you can make a difference. All right, you've been listening to me, Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0, where I talk about idealism and me being a practical idealist. If you like what you hear, I'd love to hear from you at Ellie2.0radio, Ellie2.0radio at gmail.com. You know what? No one has ever emailed me at that email. So I'd love to hear from you. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about something I'm finding with my work. Thank you. At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education, and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging, and an intensive outpatient program. 
If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. Northeast Minneapolis is known for its creativity, and you'll know exactly why when you eat at Hazel's Northeast. Their creatively prepared comfort food will have you coming back week after week. Breakfasts like biscuits and gravy, granola pancakes, and brisket hash. For lunch, homemade soup, and one of the best Rubens in town. And don't miss the daily risotto or Chef Ali's ever-changing dinner specials. Come on in. Bring the whole family. Hazel's Northeast delivers real good food. Family owned at 29th and Johnson in Minneapolis. Being a dog is awesome, except when you really gotta go, but you're stuck inside. That's why I had my human called the Urban Dog. Daily walks, field trips, play groups, one-on-one time, safe off-leash play, and pet sitting. I love being an Urban Dog. The Urban Dog works with your schedule and can create a plan that fits your needs. The Urban Dog. Exercise, explore, socialize. Let the journey begin. Call 651-231-6333. That's 651-231-6333. <laughs> Time to fire up Minnesota with a smoking hot grill from Warner Stallion. Finally, it's Grill Expo weekend, which means new gas, charcoal, pellet, and smoker grills are fired up so you can witness their awesomeness. Choose your favorite and buy at Warner Stallion's lowest price of the year. Then get free assembly, free delivery and recycling, 18-month zero-interest financing, and three free products from no-name butcher quality meats and seafood. Don't miss the fun. Grill Expo, this weekend at Warner Stallion. Tune in for Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Accept your intelligence. Coming up, trolling, bullying, and flame wars, humility, and online discourse. Why are people so rude and arrogant online? Because they're anonymous and not held accountable. But they're rude and arrogant online even when they're not anonymous. Let's not start a flame war. Trolling, bullying, and flame wars. Next time on Philosophy Talk. Philosophy Talk. Every Sunday at 8 a.m. and again at 2 p.m. on AM 950. Welcome back to Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 on AM 950. Um, I hope you've been enjoying this show. I have been getting comments from people about how much they really like this show. Actually, I got, I think, probably the greatest comment I could have ever gotten is somebody called this show, called me even, Wellstonian. I mean, I don't know if you can get any higher a compliment in Minnesota or probably for progressive people anywhere to be called Wellistonian. Oh my goodness, it just made my heart like increase like triple. So there you go. So in this B slot, that and of course $3.35 will get you a cup of hot chocolate. Um, in this B slot, um, this is where, you know, I talk a, a, about my work as a practical idea, idealist where I share about what I'm finding. And for those of you who are new to, the, new to this show, and if you are, welcome. And for my regular listeners, thank you. Um, you know, I, I speak and train across America and Canada about human inclusivity, about how to better get along with people who are quote-unquote different from quote-unquote us. I am a living idealist. I am, and it's in my official bio, and I do believe that 99% of all people are good. I do. 
I believe that. 1% total sociopath. But, you know, and the backdrop of all of this is that we're all struggling to survive the human condition. Often we feel as if we're the only one out there, the only one who's alone or no good or other. And my goal in my work is to remind that we have far more commonalities that we, than what we realize. And if we understood that we had all of these commonalities, if we remembered it, it would be much easier to get past how we group and label humans according to color or religion or socioeconomic differences or the incongruity between voice and appearance. Remember, I'm transgender. If you're watching this on Facebook Live, you're looking at a chick um, who today looks fairly good. Um, that's not always the case, um, but of course has this horrible masculine voice. As I've done my training, Along the way, I've modified an, uh, an audience participation exercise that someone else taught me. So, I mean, in this business, you see somebody do something, you're like, hey, can I borrow that? And they're like, oh, of course. Um, and I had, this, I had this exercise that I called the identity game. And I've modified it to bring out how our, our hearts are empathetic, as I just said. I still believe that 99% of all humans have empathetic hearts. The exercise of the identity game involves placing signs on walls that represent how we label or self-identify. So I've got signs that say race, one that says age, another that says gender, one that says socioeconomic class, one that says LGBTQ status, one that says education, another that says vocation. I'm not going to list them all for you, but you get an idea. And then I read prompts and ask audience members to go stand by the signs. There are some rules about this exercise, you know, that it's voluntary, you don't have to do it. I don't want it. And the second rule is I don't want anyone judging anyone for standing by a sign. And the third rule is I want you to open your eyes and see who stands by a sign. I want you to trigger your empathetic hearts. And so I read prompts. I get everybody up. I read prompts. And I, you know, one of the prompts is, um, for example, we start with an easy one, which is a quote, the identity that was most important to my parents for me as I was growing up was, unquote. And then I tell people, go stand by a sign. And usually, but not always, I have people that stand by education or religious affiliation because that is important to our parents for us as we grow up. However, I've been getting uh, some people, and it's very sad to see, I get people standing under a sign in response to the, pro the prompt, the identity important to my parents for me as I was growing up. I get people standing under the sign that says, not good enough, slash failure. And it's very sad when I see that. Very, very sad. And it's also very powerful. So I started out with, I don't know, 10 or 12 signs. But gradually, I've, I've added some. So I added a sign that's for alone, another one for afraid. And then I did add that sign for not good enough, slash failure. Um, and this identity game is part of my much larger gray area thinking training about how to be more inclusive of all humans. People love that training. It inspires people. It's, I'm, it's not uncommon for me to have people with tears in their eyes um, um, come up to me after the training to thank me for it or to, or to ask, can they give me a hug? But the identity game can also be a standalone exercise. We can just do that alone without the rest of the training. I have done the identity game either as a standalone or as part of gray area thinking across the United States and in Canada to businesses, court systems, law firms, colleges and universities and nonprofits. 
And some incredible things have happened when we've done this game. For example, um, a year and a half ago, I trained all of the judges and Supreme Court justices in Iowa. I had 160 judges and Supreme Court justices. One of my prompts is the identity that I struggle with the most on a day-to-day basis. And when I read that prompt to the judges, I watched them move around the room going from, you know, some stand at one sign, another stand at other sign. But in response to the prompt, the identity that I struggle with the most on a day-to-day basis, out of 160 Supreme Court justices and judges, 40 stood under the sign, not good enough slash failure. 40, a full quarter of the room said they were no good that they felt that they were no good, that they felt that they were failures. I stopped the training right there, and I just said to everyone, do you understand that you are at the, the apex of the pyramid? You are at the top of the legal profession, and most lawyers would give their right arm to be who you are, and you think that you stink. And I said, can we imagine what people who aren't even lawyers, what they think of themselves when they come before you? Another time, I did the training to about to 130 people. Um, these were professionals who work, who are interfaced between the court system and schools. And we gotten through three-fourths of the training, and no one had stood under the sign LGBTQ status. And I just stopped and just remarked, this was in Iowa, by the way, where I was doing that training. And I just remarked, you know, it's just odd. I'm just saying, that's what I like to do when I I make observations. I'm just saying, 130 people in the room, statistically somewhere between 8 and 14 of you are LGBTQ. I'm just saying, no one's ever stood under the sign as we've been doing this exercise. We got done with the exercise. We resumed the exercise. I got done with it. No one ever stood under the sign. And as um, happens, um, people came up to me after, you know, the gray area thinking training and wanted to tell me how wonderful it was and all that jazz. We don't need to get into that. But there was a woman, a younger woman, blonde haired, probably late 20s, maybe 30s, stood off to the side. She never got in line ever to uh, talk to me. And eventually it was just her and me in the room, no one else. And she came up to me and she did have tears in her eyes. And she said, Ellie, you know, you know, when you said No one stood under that sign. She said, I really wanted to stand under that sign, but I was afraid. I work in a small school, and I'm afraid for my job. And she said, I wanted to to tell you that I I, I, I grew up in Iowa. I never told anyone about me, never let anyone know of my same-sex attraction. And she said, I went to college with the intent to take my life and to take my secret to my grave. Now I have tears in my eyes. And then she said, but it's all good now, Ellie. I have a partner. We're out, we live out in the country and we have dogs. And it's all good. And she said, I just wanted to share that with you. Lately, I've added some new signs. One for veteran. Another one for family. And then one for compassion. I've done this only within the last couple of weeks. And then I added a new prompt at the end. That prompt is the identity that I want to be known for. It's the last prompt of the whole exercise. I've only done this twice now because the prompt is so new and the signs are so new. But I have to tell you something. Something incredible happens, has happened those two times. 
when I've read the prompt, the identity that I want to be known for, I've watched nearly the entire room. I mean, I am talking 85, 95% of the room all beeline to one sign, one sign in particular. And that sign, in response to the prompt, the identity that I want to be known for, that sign is compassion. I end up this exercise with nearly the entire room standing under the sign of compassion because that's what they want to be known for. It is so incredibly powerful. I cannot stress enough seeing everybody standing there under compassion, wanting to be known for that. And when I see that, the two times I've seen it so far, my heart has burst because there's proof of how we can get past all the crap. Under, those, under that sign was young and old, male and female, blue and red. That is how we can get past all of the crap. That's our show. Um, a big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson, who always has my back. And my big thanks to you. I'll be back next week with more, hopefully, inspirational, idealistic stuff. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Thanks so very much. Have a great Monday. Bye.